every once in a while, uh, we get a couple of seconds, hours to get away with my family. And uh, we always wind up driving down to 605, getting off on 22 off the main street, or some island, I don't know where it is. But my wife says, go here, go there, go there, turn here. And we wind up over at this little place called, uh, well, what is it called? Steel Beach. <laughs> And you know, we get off and we find food, we fight for parking, and we pray for the people that we cut off. <laughs> and, and, and we get off the car and we walk around, and you can smell the ocean from Main Street right there. And, and you, 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 walk the, you walk around and you see all the people that you can smell, and you can stay for And then, as we're coming up on the, uh, I guess, the north side of, of Main Street, well, I remember, I always look up and I say, hey, there's that Grace Brethren Church. And I always say a prayer. And, uh, you know, I haven't said put it there, I want to, but I think I'm going to wind up staying over there. <laughs> <laughs> but we praise God because uh, we, we were able to, uh, well, God blessed us with the man that, uh, that stayed there for quite a while. And, uh, and he's come here to, to bless us with God's word. Amen. So without further ado, we're going to ask Brother Don, or Pastor Don Shoemaker, to come up and bring you up first. What a nice introduction. Uh, come on down and see us. One block from the ocean, and uh, the, the facility has been totally remodeled on the inside and on the outside, and uh, I estimate... In 28 years, I made 7,500 trips down to Seal Beach and back to my home. <laughs> and I had my own parking spot down there, too, which was nice. <laughs> well, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be looking at some verses there as we look at prayer in the hour of crisis. And you have an insert in your bulletin with the sermon notes on it so you can uh, follow Right along. Uh, the older I get, the more meaningful special days are. Now, I know that the New Testament sets us free from day observance, but uh, we choose as Christians, most of us, to observe Christmas and Easter. Um, I led a communion service on Ash Wednesday. Our church observes Lent in its sermon series. And uh, Good Friday, we joined for communion. And then uh, Easter Sunday, of course. And if you're going to observe Easter, you should also observe Pentecost. You, you, uh, our Lord rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and he sent his spirit. So we want to keep the story complete. And as I say, the older I've gotten, uh, the more these days become meaningful to me. And now I'm older and older and older. And they're really meaningful. So uh, this week and next... I uh, want to talk about a couple of the special uh, times around uh, our Lord's death and resurrection. And so I'm going to talk today about uh, prayer in the hour of crisis and look at our Lord's experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. And next Sunday we're going to look at uh, the reality of Pentecost. On your uh, outline sheet we have these words, The realities of Jesus' humanity and the crisis he is about to face come through vividly and dramatically in this prayer scene in Gethsemane. Do not minimize in your thinking his agony. Do not minimize his agony 
in your thinking. Now, my wife and I watched the uh, Passion of the Christ movie on uh, Good Friday. Pretty powerful movie. Uh, maybe it overdoes some of the agony of Christ. Uh, I won't go into that that much. Uh, Mel never called me, asked for my thinking. I would have rather had a, a less beating and an emphasis on Joseph of Arimathea and how he buried the body of Christ. But I'm, I'm still sitting by the phone. If they want to do an upgrade, I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, the tendency of Christians is not to over-dramatize the agony and suffering of Christ. It's to under-dramatize it sometime. Uh, there's a pretty good gospel song that we sing, but I, I, I have an issue with a couple of phrases in it. It's the song, My Savior's Love, and it has a verse like this. For me it was in the garden, he prayed not my will but thine. So far so good. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. Are we saying there that Jesus in the garden did not agonize over his own griefs, and his sweat drops of blood were not in with regard to his own suffering? Are we making him somewhat less than human in the area of suffering? We have to be very careful not to minimize his agony. This story is a twofold prayer lesson. Jesus models for you and me the importance of getting away to pray. And the disciples model our failure to pray and what the outcome of this failure may be. So we got two modelings going on, a good one and a bad one, and we need to learn from both. I confess that I need to hear this sermon. When it comes to my spiritual life, I am much more a doer than I am a prayer. Prayer. So I need to hear these words too. So uh, it's not just you, it's me that needs to hear this sermon. Not the preacher, not the deacon, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Let's learn four lessons on prayer from Jesus and his disciples. The first one is, Jesus prayed in privacy, but he didn't want to pray in isolation. There's a difference between privacy and isolation. We'll see that. Jesus would get away from the demands of ministry to pray. These are important verses. I always enjoy reading them. Jesus had his want-to-get-away places. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Mark tells us he went up on the mountain to pray. Mountains are wonderful places of solitude. Not necessarily isolation from people, but a time of solitude where you think of God and his creation. Verses 36 and 37. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He prayed in privacy, but not in isolation. At Gethsemane, the pressures on Jesus, the pressure on Jesus was profound. Again, note some scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He fell on his face and prayed. Mark tells us he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And Luke says, Being in agony, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And the book of Hebrews is maybe the most profound of all. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. 
How would you assess his state of mind, his state of emotions? You think he needs therapy? Should we give him a prescription to calm him down a little bit? Should he just snap out of it? We as Christians would say, snap out of it, Jesus, in Jesus' name. (laughs) Or is it a spiritual crisis of the deepest agony? When he opens up to his Father in prayer, a crisis he needs to go through in all its power and strength. Here we see Jesus in his full humanity. And again, I emphasize the importance of Jesus' full humanity. Some pastors think they must not ever show themselves to be vulnerable. Maybe this is more old school thinking than new school thinking, and in that case, I'm more happy for the new school. Still like some things of the old school, but this is not one of them. When I was in seminary, we had a very fine minister come in. I admired this man, but in his sermon, he said this to the, the future pastors. He said, if you are ever discouraged, never let your people see you that way. Are we supposed to deny our vulnerability? To hide it? Jesus didn't do that. He didn't. My favorite commentary on the Gospel of Matthew has this to say, The Gospel writers were never truer than when they avoided the temptation to paint Jesus as a hero, superior to negative emotions, a martyr above fear. That's not the Jesus we find. Many of us have had experiences like this. Intense times of prayer. Perhaps you're having one right now. Perhaps you have faced a tragedy, or perhaps right now something is very serious in your life, or you're facing some kind of a decision that must be made. This sermon is for you. Don't deny your feelings or seek to smother them. Your Father in Heaven sees you. He hears you. He cares for you. And he understands. Now I want you to see how Jesus longed here for the support of his friends. And did he receive it? No. We know it's important for Jesus to be with you and me in an hour of crisis. But think of this. It is important to Jesus that people be with him in his hour of crisis. We need Jesus. Jesus needs us. Verse 38 Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. But sadly, his closest companions would not be there for Jesus in his greatest hour of need. We're told in verse 40, He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And again in verse 43, And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. But Jesus longed for the support of his friends. Notice a few scriptures on this. The psalmist, whose whose words are fulfilled in Jesus, the psalmist, David, once went through some terrible agony of life. Whatever it was, I'm not sure. But it was a very deep and difficult experience. And he said, My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague. They didn't want to be there with him in that time of need. Proverbs 17.17 tells us, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So if your your brother ever says to you, What's my purpose in life? What's God's will for my life? You say, It's to be here for me when I go through my adversity. At least one thing. 
Proverbs 27.10 Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Friends and neighbors are there to love others as they want to be loved. And of course, here in Southern California, we kind of have a deficit in this, don't we? We don't even know many of our neighbors. Uh, I grew up in a gravel, gravel road and we knew every neighbor. Probably knew more of our neighbors and they knew more of us than we wanted. But there also came times of need and the neighbors were there for you. And even strangers can be close to us in a time of need. I remember when I was in seminary and my wife and I received word in the middle of the night that her sister had been killed in an accident. And before we could drive to Ohio, I had to drive into Warsaw, Indiana to get some gasoline. The gas station attendant was standing there at his counter with a Bible open. And I said to him, do you believe that book? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, well, then you pray for us because we have a real need right now. And I shared with him what had happened. Don't let your friends down in their deepest hour of need. You be for them. Don't be like Peter and the sons of Zebedee who were not there for Jesus. You be for your friends in your time of need. Your presence and your prayers will be deeply felt. I serve as chaplain for the Seal Beach Police Department. And one thing that is stressed in our training is that it's our presence there that is most important. I'm glad to hear that because often I don't have a clue what to say. But presence is important. I remember being called once in the middle of the night into a home where the husband had died unexpectedly and there the widow was there and some of the family. I go into a home and I kind of look around at things to kind of tip me up, tip, tip me off a little bit what this family is about and I concluded this, this was a Jewish home. And I said to them, do you have a Bible? Would you like me to read from the Bible? And uh, they gave me a Bible, and I read from Ecclesiastes. You know that passage about a time to live and a time to die and so forth. And then I will ask, would you like me to offer a prayer? Some say no. Many say yes. Most say yes. And I'll offer a prayer, and I prayed then. And I leave, and I don't know what the effect is of what I've been there to do. A couple weeks later, this was in Old Town, Seal Beach. A couple weeks later, this widow came into the church office. And she came into my office and she said, I just really want to thank you that you were there for us that night. It meant so much to us. And I I couldn't have asked for a better reward to know that I had ministered to total strangers and I was there for them in a time of need. You be there for people who need you. And when a circumstance comes along during the day that right in front of you is a need that you never expected, it might even be a stranger, you be there in that type of situation. I remember once uh, being in the parking lot at Stater Brothers and an elderly woman walked up to me. Now, an elderly woman to me is anyone older than I am. <laughs> and she said, I can't find my car. Well, I don't have that problem yet. But at that point, I knew what the will of the Lord was for me for the next... People say, well, how do you find the will of the Lord? It comes. I knew what the will of the Lord was for me for the next five or ten minutes. Still, her car was located. A stranger there to help in the time of need. How many of you know Wayne Flory? Does that name ring a bell with any of you? Some of you know him. Went to be with the Lord last year, but a long-time presence here in Southern California, in our churches and in our schools. 
he was a member of uh, my church for the last several years and it was such an honor to have him there. But long, long, long before that, when I was a fairly new pastor at Los Altos Brethren Church, uh, there was a death in the church. A young man was killed in a traffic accident, and I was called to the home before the parents got there. I got to the home, and Wayne was already there. He was a close friend of the family. And I saw him as he ministered to them and broke the news and offered comfort at the time of death. And what a lesson that was for me. I'm really thankful for that experience. And when I did his memorial service last summer, I recalled that experience. Also recalled that he was at the church on the day of my installation. And uh, new pastors don't forget the names of the pastors who came to their installation. So let's have these two takeaway points right here. Your emotions and your anxieties are absolutely legitimate when you face a crisis in your life. Don't deny them. And second, it's important to have a friend and it's important to be a friend in the hour of crisis. Praying privately does not mean praying in isolation. When my mother had cancer and we cared for her in our home in her last months, I say oftentimes there were four things very meaningful. The father, the family, especially my wife's very special care of my mother's needs, the fellowship, the church family, and friends. Be there. Be there in the hour of crisis. Now, the second lesson of prayer, and they're not all as long as the first one. Jesus' prayer was petitionary, but not out of selfishness. Petitionary prayer, but not selfish. Some petitionary prayer becomes selfish. Satan's goal to dissuade Jesus from the cross happened different times. It was by offering him glory without suffering, the first temptation. By arguing how contrary his death on the cross would be to his sonship. And that was through the voice of Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You don't understand. And now in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe Jesus faced another great temptation from the devil. Verse 39. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus does battle here. It's a battle of the wills. It's also, I believe, a battle between Jesus and the devil. Will the devil be able to dissuade him from the cross? Jesus desired to escape the suffering of the cross. No doubt about it. But only if it fit his Father's will. Prayer should be, I wrote this down, prayer should be a time of bold humility. Bold humility. In our prayers, you and I have the right to pour our petitions out before the Lord and to ask for His response best as we see it. But we also need to add, not as I will, but as you will. Because we don't want our prayer to be a time when self rules. We want a time to be when God rules. His answers should be according to His will and not ours. You know, just maybe God has a better idea than the petitions you're putting out. Can you allow for that? How many of you in your life have had a prayer answered very differently from how you prayed it, and now you're glad it was answered that way? Mm -hmm. Not according to as I will, but as the Father wills. Never listen to those health and wealth preachers who will tell you that to pray if the Lord wills is to show a sign of a lack of faith. 
No, it's not a sign of a lack of faith. It's a sign of surrender to the will of God. James puts it in the most excellent way, James 4:13 to 15. Come, on, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Indeed, you, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Here are my plans for tomorrow. God bless my plans, but God, you have the authority, and I confess it, to overrule my plans, because if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What petitions should be in your heart today? I want to tell you, among many that you should have, you should be praying for the shalom of this community. And you should be praying, as Scripture teaches us, for all who are in authority the president, the congress, the governor, the legislature, local government, to see us through very difficult times. You should These should at least be your regular petitions. Number three, Jesus prayed with persistence, but not with empty repetition. Again, see a difference between persistence and empty repetition. Verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. In verse 44, So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Uh, Should it once be enough when Jesus prays? Or is there a place for persistence in prayer? As long as it's not empty repetition. Some think that uh, praying often for something shows a lack of faith. That can't be true. But there are risks in praying often for something. There's the risk of uh, becoming like those whom Jesus criticized, who think they will be heard for their much speaking. And there is a risk that our prayers will become hollow prayers. We pray them so often that our mind can disengage and we can still be praying them and we're not really thinking about what we're saying. Do you ever offer a prayer where you're not really thinking about what you're saying? like the pastor that gave a benediction one Sunday. And just as he was about to give his benediction, his microphone went bad, and it began to hiss and howl and, and buzz and pop. And he said, The peace of the Lord be with you. My, there's something really wrong with my microphone. And all the people said, And also with you. <laughs> Do you ever pray that back and forth? Praying without even engaging our minds in what we're saying. Now the Catholics say, and with your spirit, but that would be just about as bad, wouldn't it? There's something really wrong with my microphone, and with your spirit. Three times Jesus prayed, boldly but submissively. Once convinced of his Father's will, he was steadfast to do it. And in a very profound verse in Hebrews 5.8, we have these words. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Learned obedience... You say, wait a minute, didn't Jesus already know everything? No. Obedience was his nature, but it needed to become his practice. And in that, he had to learn. It would soon be clear to Jesus that the way of the cross was the Father's will. And once Jesus acknowledges this, he goes forward with steadfastness and resolve. Because he has said, not my will, but yours be done. Number four, Jesus prayed to prepare himself so he would not face his crisis in weakness. 
Again, there's contrast. Preparation or weakness, which is going to be. Jesus prepared himself. Verses 40 and 41. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sleeping not only prevented them from being there for Jesus, it prevented them from doing the necessary spiritual reinforcement that prayer brings. Again, my favorite commentary on Matthew. The main way disciples keep alert after attentively listening to God's word is by saying prayers. Real prayer sharpens spiritual eyes to see what is really happening. We should pray with one eye upon God, His will, His purpose, His power, and one eye upon circumstances, the developments in our own lives and in our world, in our homes and families and community. An eye on God, an eye on circumstances. One of my favorite verses is Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse eight, verse 9. Nehemiah, governor of the land, is trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But the surrounding people don't want to see those walls rebuilt. And they cause hostility. And so Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 9 tells us that Nehemiah prayed to our God. We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night. Is that a contradiction? No. Pray and do. And it was important that Nehemiah pray with an eye on God. He has the power to protect us, but also an eye on circumstances. We have responsibilities that we need to do. We prayed and we posted a guard. Temptation was real for Jesus. You know what he would have had to done to avoid the cross? Simply run off into the, into the bushes? Just run off into the Garden of Gethsemane? He has avoided the cross, avoided the suffering. Temptation is real for us. We can boast how strong we are. We can uh, run away from obedience. Or we can deny our Lord. All of those happen here in the lives of the disciples. The Apostle Paul instructs us to pray the way Jesus wants us to pray. Colossians 4.2 Continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Do the disciples do that? No. We should. 1 Thessalonians 5.25 Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. We should pray that prayer. You should be praying that prayer as a congregation. God may, whoever occupies this pulpit in the future of this church, be speaking the word of the Lord, and may it speed ahead and be honored as it is delivered. What better prayer request could you have? Verses 45 and 46. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now 
You can't sleep any longer, and you know what? It's too late to pray. I like uh, one of Matthew's favorite words that some of our versions leave out. Behold. Behold, the hour is at hand. Behold, my betrayer is at hand. It's a word of drama. I ask a congregation, what's a good modern equivalent of the word behold? Someone said, dude. Okay, but we can come up with some others maybe too. The point is, drama is here. Are we ready? Are we ready? The hour for Jesus to drink the cup of suffering and to experience the will of his Father and to provide for our salvation, that hour has come. And the disciples have not prayed and they are not ready. Our Southern California, this past several months, has had its fires, its floods, and its mudslides. And when you're facing the possibility of fire, floods, and mudslides, you have to be prepared because if you wait till it happens, it's too late. It's too late. Be prepared. And the same is true spiritually. If we wait until the crisis comes, it's too late. And... For goodness sake, if we're not going to pray when there's not a crisis, if we're not going to minister to ourselves spiritually when there's not a crisis, who's to say that we're really going to do it in a time of crisis? They didn't do it, nor would we. Luke chapter 21 and verse 36, Jesus warns, Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I'd like to have us close by reading together the verses that I put at the bottom of your sermon outline that speak on this same theme of preparedness and prayer. All together. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Our Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you, too, for the example of the disciples, because they taught us what not to do and so we have a lot to learn from both Jesus and his followers. And we have a lot to practice when it comes to prayer. This may be a deficiency in most of our lives. And so we come to you humbly, Lord, based on the scripture we've heard. And we ask you to work in our hearts to make us more prepared and more desiring to go before you in the throne of, by the throne of grace. We pray for our community that your peace would be shed upon it, especially through this church. I pray for your blessing on this church, that whoever should occupy the position of pastor and all other teachers will speak forth your word in truth and power and transformation. I pray, Lord, for our country. I pray for our president and the Congress and the courts in this time of national need. And then for our state and for our locality, we hold them all up before you, Lord, that we might live peaceable and godly lives as you would have us live. Thank you for the chance of sharing this word with you today. And I thank you in Jesus' name. I'd like to have you stand, please. And uh, 
Let's all pray together the prayer that Jesus gave us to pray. And we'll use the word trespasses and trespass when we get to that part. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord bless you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.